The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Jesus put before the crowds another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go out and gather them? But he replied, No. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. <clears throat> Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and <clears throat> the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the Gospel of the Lord. This past April, <clears throat> the day before Doug and I departed Scotland to come home, we celebrated his birthday at a restaurant called The Witchery in Edinburgh. This restaurant is situated in the old town's castle district and occupies an impressive 16th century building. The building has been in continuous occupation for over four centuries used for committees of the Church of Scotland and as rectory of the nearby church, among other things. This area of Castle Hill has always been at the very center of Scottish history. The restaurant takes its name, as you might guess, from the hundreds of men and women burned at the stake as witches on Castle Hill during the 16th and 17th centuries. More witches were put to death on Castle Hill in Edinburgh during the reign of King James XI than anywhere else in Scotland, King James VI. Sorry, history people. To this day, the area around Castle Hill in Edinburgh remains steeped in history, tears, and blood. In and of itself, the history of witch hunts is quite fascinating. In many ways, it coalesces with the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, which is, of course, spearheaded by our own Martin Luther. Luther upends cloistered communities like monasteries and convents, largely by running off with and marrying a nun. As Luther reforms religious structures, monasteries and convents also undergo tremendous change. With a newfound sense of freedom and empowerment, women flee convents, 
seeking shelter in nearby forests. These groups of spiritual women become labeled as covens of witches, and they are hunted. Since they pose a threat to the precariously teetering hierarchies of both the outgoing and incoming structures of the church. Due to their spiritual inclinations and tendencies to incorporate rituals honoring nature, the church insists they must be of the devil and decrees that these witches be exterminated. Throughout the 16th and 17th centuries, thousands of women and even some men are executed across Europe and the United States. Humans being humans, these witch hunts often serve as convenient opportunities for estranged friends and relatives and warring neighbors to seek revenge upon each other. Suspects are often offered reprieve or at least a quick death if they offer names of other witches, which most of the time leads them to simply name names of people they don't like. In summary, this means most of the witches who die are simply ordinary people whom other people decide to hate. Witch hunts relied on the narrative that there were evil ones who must die and good ones who must live. In many ways, this narrative carries into today. Most cultures around the world, including our own, have categorized people into who deserves to live and who does not deserve to live based on laws, social contracts, ethnicity, genetics, race, sexual orientation, etc. The Holocaust is, of course, a shining example of this. The idea here is that there are good people out there and there are bad people out there. And the bad people must be discovered and destroyed. The underlying problem here, of course, is for humans, the word bad is pretty subjective. It does us well to pause here and consider the dangerous duality of this narrative. It is true that sometimes good people do bad things. It is also true that sometimes bad people do good things. But to claim that in the world there are evil people created by the devil and then there are good people created by God is highly problematic for Christians because it implies that there are in fact two creators, one who creates good and one who creates evil. But we Christians don't believe that. We believe there is one God, creator of all things, not some things, but all, as God speaks to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 45, where God says, I create good and I create evil. <clears throat> but it necessarily means that we must then admit that the worst villains in history, like Hitler and Manson, Dahmer, were also created by God, just like us. This is most uncomfortable. Easier to have a witch hunt. Humans still love witch hunts, it seems, 
While we believe that these women back in the 16th and 17th centuries were good and innocent, the established church believed that they were evil and guilty. Similarly today, one demographic of people might think a person is doing nothing wrong simply by being black or gay, but another demographic of people do. And so the witch hunt begins. See Matthew Shepard, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, countless others. The gospel from the book of Matthew today is often misconstrued to call for witch hunts. Here's what a modern-day witch hunt sounds like. Hey, let's hunt down the ones I think are wicked. Grab your guns and follow me. Let's hunt down black people and gay people and Jewish people because they are bad and we are good. But this is not at all where this gospel intends to go. No gospel of Jesus would set some humans against others. In fact, the gospel does the opposite by undoing the human-made categories that we invent. There is neither Jew nor Greek, woman or man, slave or free. The word gospel means good news. Well, if gospel is good news, it must be good news for all people, not just some. So forget then the narrative of good guys and bad guys and the permission to finger point and accuse. The gospel is not about us and them. It is not about human justice and our abuse of justice. It is about God's justice. It's about you and it's about me and it's about every single human being ever created. It's about rooting out the evil that lies within each one of our own hearts. It's about the bad weeds in my own soul that try to choke out the good seed. It's about the evil in my heart that daily tries to suffocate the holy. The reality is not that there are some good people here today and some bad people here today. It's that we are all both. Martin Luther in Latin calls that simul justus et peccator. In other words, we're all simultaneously saints and sinners. We're all both evil and good at the same time. Example, take away a sweet, innocent toddler's favorite toy, and their eyes and tantrum will show you that they would kill you if they had a weapon and some motor skills. The disciples, being humans who are also simultaneously saints and sinners, want to take justice into their own hands. They're up for a witch hunt. We are going to go rip out the evil weeds, they say. Uh, say the word Jesus, and we will hunt down the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the lepers, and the adulterers, and we will bring our swords. But Jesus says, no, you will kill the good as well as the bad because you don't know what you're doing. This then. It's not about human justice. It's about God's justice, God's kingdom. It's about God's justice that roots out and burns away the weeds within myself, within yourselves. It's about realizing human beings are not the judge, that God is judge. And when humans try to be judge, we always mess things up. Because while human judgment always ends with death, God's judgment always ends with life. Having said that, we should not for a moment underestimate the power of evil and the temptation to do the wrong thing. All you have to do is read the news, right, to see evidence of human selfishness, greed, and the abuse of power. The fight here then is not to resign ourselves to that evil, but rather to resist it, to swim upstream 
step out on a limb, draw a line in the sand, to try even against all odds to do the right thing, to love all people, to be symbols of grace and compassion in our own little corners of the world. The bold truth here is that we need to lay down the pitchfork and the torch and realize that the hunt is not for someone else out there, but rather the hunt is within myself, in the heart, where unchecked weeds strive to choke out the good. It doesn't mean you have to like everybody. In fact, it means the opposite. It's okay not to like someone or to disagree with someone. We all have people that we walk away from thinking, what a son of a... We don't have to like everybody, but it's hard to hate someone when we realize that they are a child of God, just like me. God created them, and everyone. And within every single person, there is some good. It does not matter if we see it. God sees it. There's an alternate first reading uh, for today. We read the Isaiah, but there's another one that includes, involves Jacob. He comes to a place called Haran, and he's surprised to discover that God was there even before he arrived. Think of the bold arrogance here, very on-brand for Jacob, to believe that God can only arrive at a place if he brings God with him. Jacob says, God was here all along, and I didn't even know it. This is what we discover when we examine the human heart, that God is there even if we don't expect God to be there. God is in the hearts of people I don't like. God is in the hearts of people who don't like me. But perhaps the most difficult thing to realize is that God is in your own heart, even when you think your heart is God-forsaken. God is in your heart even when you find nothing but weeds, no matter who you are. God is in your heart, growing seeds of hope and faith and mercy and love. I would never <clears throat> want to see another person being burned at the stake as a witch. I suspect I'm not alone in that. What I wouldn't mind seeing burned are all of those things within myself that prevent me from being the person God intends me to be. I wouldn't mind seeing those things go up in smoke. This is exactly what God is working to accomplish in each one of us. It is true that God loves us as we are, weeds and all, but it is also true that God is constantly at work in each of our hearts, weeding out the things that want to strangle the good. God will never give up on the human heart. God will never give up on you, no matter how much we feel like we are losing the fight and that all human goodness is being choked out. We celebrate that judgment lies in God's hands, not ours. And because of that, because God's word is always life, the weeds will never win. Amen.